Well, hey, um, has, has anybody here ever been out to Canyon Lake, out uh, past Apache? Yeah, have you been out there before? It's a beautiful area. You know, they've they put up a dam and filled in these old areas of canyon. All the, all the lakes on that chain have been done that way. Um, and there is a, a Dolly Steamboat. Has anybody been on the Dolly Steamboat? Really cool cruise. You can do an afternoon cruise, which is a little cheaper, but it's sort of a sightseeing thing. But if you really want to do it up, fellas, and, uh, and blow the bank on a great date, um, the dinner cruise is the one to take. In fact, you guys might know Benny Albright. Um, his catering company somehow has survived the year of COVID, thank God. But he uh, is the cook. He, their, their, their company is the chef that does the, the evening meal, so it's always really, really good. Anyway, so I've been on that a number of times, but I remember one time out there on Canyon Lake, um, came around a corner, and there was a kayak just kind of pulled up against the, like, the, it wasn't even really a bank, because there was nowhere to go. It was just under this rock, and I thought, well, is somebody just, uh, like, swimming? I'm looking around, and then somebody in the, on the steamboat points up, and, 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 oh, there was somebody that was climbing like a sheer kind of wall. <laughs> there was nowhere else to go. And uh, he was probably 30 or 40 feet in the air, and I thought, holy smokes. Like, I, I, I don't know, maybe I have a little fear of heights, but anybody comfortable being 30 or 40 on a rock wall, sort of, I don't know how he did the ledges and stuff. And I'm always amazed by these athletes, these rock climbers, because the, the really advanced ones are these incredible athletes with such a skill set. Um, in fact, just a, a few years ago, you might have heard of the movie Free Solo that came out that documented uh, a guy named Alex Honnold, and he climbed this 3,000-foot cliff wall out in Yosemite. This is El Capitan. It's 3,000 feet. Um, and the crazy thing is not only did he do that, but he did it with no ropes and no safety gear, and apparently no brain. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> he must be like younger than 25 before your prefrontal cortex fully develops, right? I'm, I don't know. Anyway, uh, amazing athlete. But just check out a, just a short video kind of showing a little clip from him doing this. There he is. That is the sound of the wind. That's all you hear. And uh, he scaled this thing. No safety gear, no rocks. I mean, it reminds me, kind of looks like Spider-Man, right? He's... Can you imagine what it would take to do this? He's, see that it's chalk, he's putting his hands on some chalk. He doesn't have gloves on, this is his bare hands with chalk. And then his feet don't have any sort of, you know, metallic nothing in them. He just finds the, the grip. They, it looks like there's nothing to grab onto. And these guys like him, they find these places where there's nothing to grab onto and they find a way, right? They find a way. Yeah, that's a close-up. That there would be a foothold that he has found, which, you know, when you find a good foothold, then you can rest, because if you're doing all hands all the time, you get pretty tired. And the foothold, at least you can stand there and rest. Um, I don't know how much I could rest if that was me. But these climbers, like this guy, are amazing. They are experts. And they find a foothold where it looks like there is nothing, like to make their way up but they use that foothold, even the smallest foothold, to scale the cliff wall. Which got me thinking about another kind of foothold and the way that footholds actually show up in our lives, very different than rock climbing in some ways, but there are footholds in our life. And that brings me to our message this morning, because your enemy, 
is also an expert at finding even the smallest of footholds, and Satan uses that foothold to latch onto a place in your life from which to harass you and attack you, and we want to be aware of these things, and so a few weeks ago, we started a series that we're calling Supernatural, where we're going to look at the unseen world over the next couple few months, and we've started out the last couple weeks, myself and then Pastor Jim last week, by looking at the reality that, that the Bible teaches that there is evil in this world, there is a being called Satan, the devil, and scripture says that he opposes God. We've looked at how he then not only opposes God, but because he's been defeated by God and can't win a battle against God, he goes after what matters most to the heart of God, which is you and I. That's why the enemy goes after you and I, because he can't defeat God, so he goes after what God loves human beings. We also covered that the devil is not like this equal power, like God is the power of good and the power of evil equally would be Satan. Not at all. That's not even close. Um, the devil doesn't have that kind of power. He doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient. Um, he's not omnipresent. He's not anywhere and everywhere. He is not equal in any way to God. But we still have to be careful, and Scripture tells us, uh, especially in 1 Peter 5, gives us a great description that we have a crafty enemy, and that we have to be aware that he is like a roaring lion. He is on the prowl. He is looking to devour us, <clears throat> which is kind of serious. And, and like any amazing skills that these rock climbers, the advanced rock climbers, develop, your enemy, the devil, looks for any place where he can get a foothold in your life as well. The Apostle Paul warns you and I about this in Ephesians chapter 4, which is going to be our primary text for today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. When he writes to the church, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is warning us of this way, the scheme that the enemy tries to get a foothold, a place in our life where he tries to get a grip, some kind of traction in our life to try to then work on us uh, or harass us. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people ask, can a Christian be possessed by the devil? And the devil, no. The devil cannot possess a Christian because you belong to Jesus. But that doesn't mean that the devil cannot oppress a Christian or harass a Christian. The enemy still tries to, to find a foothold wherever he can. And what he does from there, Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, what he does is to steal, kill, and destroy. He finds a foothold, and that's where he sets up his operation to try to steal, kill, and destroy. Now look back at the verse in Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. This is interesting, and we could talk a long time about this, but this is interesting, just that first sentence there. In your anger, do not sin. So apparently, it is possible to be angry and not sin, which means that anger is not automatically a sin. Not automatically a sin. There's a lot more we could talk about. 
Um, but it's not automatically a sin. So if somebody says, well, sin is, uh, or, or anger is always a sin, nah, not according to the Bible. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, that's probably pretty important. Um, Jesus was sometimes angry. There are places where there is righteous anger in Scripture. I do think that it's hard for us as humans to kind of delineate between my anger that is righteous anger and okay and not sinful and then sinful anger. And <clears throat> I'll be honest that most of the time I have to admit my anger trends into that sinful place and I try to justify it, which makes it really weird, but in your anger, <clears throat> so okay, you, be, you can be angry, but don't sin, which points out to me that we are prone to sin. We are prone to sinning when we are angry. <laughs> um, it's, it's a lead-in, at least, a danger zone, anger is. But also, this verse here informs us that apparently a major foothold that the enemy is good at exploiting is anger. Right, check that out. And it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And that gives him a foothold, which is worth paying attention to, I think. So what does do not let the sun go down on your anger mean? Um, and you think about the history of this. You think about when this was written. And the people in that day, in fact, until Heidi and I read, we're reading, I think it was this week, uh, in a book that, that pointed out that until the light bulb was invented, most people, most people went to bed when the sun went down, right? And they got a good 11 hours of sleep was kind of average. <laughs> and they got up when the sun came up because there was no electricity, there weren't light bulbs, so people didn't necessarily stay up as a whole different world. So back then would have been that kind of world for these folks, and they were not that far off the equator, so their daylight probably hours were about the same as ours. And so do not let the sun go down on your anger. It means at least um, before you go to bed, before you go to bed, try to resolve the situation, right? If you are angry, I wrote, if you are angry, resolve it quickly and do it today if possible. Now, I think this is especially important uh, in our homes where you have a spouse or kids or siblings or roommates or any of that stuff. It's important there because you see each other every day. So like not letting the sun go down on your anger, probably really important because there's not a lot of excuses around it. Sometimes there's people you only see you know, a couple times a week or maybe here at church on the weekend. Might be a little harder to get back and reconcile that. Still worth doing the day of if you can. But I think especially this holds true for the people that we live with, the people that we maybe are in the workplace with, or the people that we go to school with. People that we do everyday life especially. This is pretty good wisdom here to not let the sun go down on our anger. And by the way, it is wisdom. It's not like a legalistic demand that we write in there along with, you know, some other commandments that you have to, you must. If you let the sun go down on your anger, God is angry with you, you are sinning. Um, no, it's, it's, it's not that. It's wisdom. Um, this is not an excuse. Like some people like me that would really like to kind of rush through the process and just get the conflict over with because I want to avoid it. But since I have to talk about it, let's just get it done and get past it, right? Um, Nope, that's not that either. It's not an excuse to rush through things. It's, it's wisdom. It's wisdom. Now, the whole light bulb thing got invented, and I think that invented a new problem in, in marriages. Um, because when you stay up later than, than the sunset, um, and you happen to have a conflict with your spouse, I mean, I know this doesn't happen for any of you, but in my house sometimes, um, because I live there, not because of Heidi, but because of me, Sometimes, you know, if 
if someone were to perhaps, you know, plausibly just imagine have an argument late at night, that rarely goes well. Anyone else admit to this? When you have a late night argument, it just rarely goes well. Rarely goes well. It just doesn't, right? Um, so you want to resolve your disputes. You want to, you know, make up. You want to let the anger go. You don't want to live with this and let it stew. So here's something that Heidi and I uh, learned in our pre-marriage counseling. Um, and, and right now, what we've been doing, and we've got a few uh, couples that we're doing pre-marriage counseling with um, who are getting married or have recently been married. And, and by the way, I love doing the pre-marriage counseling with these folks because, I mean, I hope it's helpful for them. But, you know, the younger they are, it's just shoot, right over their head. Like, it's information. They're like, uh-huh. They're, they get the test right, but they have no idea what they're getting into. But um, so for us, now that we've been married for five-ish years, um, we, we are learning more. We are learning more. And so now I'm like, oh, I wish I would have remembered this from before because um, this is even more helpful now that we're kind of in the heat of it. So it might be helpful to the couples that we're doing counseling with, but I know it's helpful for me because it helps me remember what we need to be practicing, and I love doing that. Uh, Heidi and I do it together. She really does lead it. And Anyway, one of the things that comes up in our sessions usually springs off of this verse here. There's three things they talk about that they like to spring off of this verse uh, where it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And there's three helpful things that are often covered um, out of this, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's a great reminder to hit on these three things. The first one is, don't let your anger fester and build. It's pretty good, right? Couples, friends, family, anyone you're around, don't, don't let your anger fester and build up. Second one, um, work on good conflict resolution skills is something that comes out of that. Like, oh yeah, because then you might actually be able to get through it in an evening or <laughs> before the sun, right, before you go to bed. Um, yeah, that, that wouldn't hurt at all. In fact, that's one of the things that came up for Heidi and I, like, hey, you guys are going to need to learn this one. And, and the test was right, so we're still, we're still working on it. Um, again, that's because of me, not because of her, right? So there we go. Um, um, but the third one, and I always thought this was super good, super helpful. The third thing that sp- springs out of this is uh, the advice Listen, agree as a couple what time of the night it's going to be too late to have that difficult conversation or argument, right? Like decide on a time and go, that's our kind of, we're not doing it late. Because again, it rarely it goes well after a certain time of night. And at our house, we've named 9 o'clock, right? Is it 9? Yeah, 9 p.m. is our no more, no more uh, difficult conversations. You're going to have to pause it. Set up a time for tomorrow, um, which, you know, um, I think it's a good idea because, again, the later it gets, the sun is already down, uh, the later it gets, the harder it can be. And, um, you know, if we're both angry, too angry to communicate, if we're not listening, um, if it's late and something kind of comes up, our goal is to then go, okay, time out, time out, we'll call time out, we're going to set up a time. So this doesn't just drag on or we just try to let it go and forget about it and never actually deal with the problem. We're not going to do that. We're going to set a time that we come back, you know, the next day and we're going to work this stuff out when we are more calm and we're rested and it's not late at night. And I think that's a really good thing to do, by the way. Um, 
I highly recommend it because if you're, sometimes we're established in kind of our marriage patterns of how we do conflict and the one where, you know, like, oh, we're just going to stop talking and maybe we'll simmer down over the next day or three or seven. Um, it's just not healthy. It's not good for, for anybody because especially one spouse often is like, are we okay? Are we going to be okay? How are we going to connect? Um, so in our house, we make sure that we, there's no question that we are going to come back, and here's when we do it. We set a time. And the reason we do that, even though sometimes, especially with my personality, I'm kind of tempted to avoid it, but it's important to set that time um, because if I avoid it and I don't come back and deal with this thing that we had to leave unresolved, if I do that... Um, it's like letting the sun go down over and over and over. And when we let the sun go down on our anger and we don't resolve this stuff, it gives the enemy a what? A foothold. A foothold in our marriage. And, and, and so by doing everything we can, you guys, again, now I'm talking marriages, families, kids, roommates, whatever we can do in our power to resolve our anger or the situation before we go to bed, or if it's late and we're stuck, then calling time out and coming back soon. When we do that, it is acting in wisdom and preventing the enemy from getting that foothold in our life, getting that foothold in our marriage, getting that foothold in that friendship, getting that foothold with you and your coworker. And this is true. It's something that I I'm doing my best, not always doing it well. I'm doing my best to try to practice this, not just in my marriage, but in my family, my friendships with our staff here at Hope and the people that I see frequently. And again, if it's not somebody that you see all the time and you've got this thing and you can't like come right together that day and meet about it, do it as soon as possible because the longer we wait, the more that stuff can build up and the enemy gets a foothold. It gets heavier Right? You know how this feels, right? It just feels heavier and heavier, and we feel more dread and more, oh, I just don't care, forget them, I'll, I don't need them in my life. Who does that sound like? It sounds like the enemy's voice. Not, and we think it's our voice, right? But that's what the enemy does, and it's an effective strategy that he uses all over the place. Um, and I'll confess here. Pastor's confession here. I meet with a group of um, five guys. Um, we've been meeting nearly three years. And our point in this group of pastors is to celebrate each other, to encourage one another, and to go, hey, you know, when stuff's going wrong, there's a group of people that understand what we're going through uh, because we don't want the sun to keep going down on our anger and hardening our heart toward the people that we're doing life or ministry or church with. Um, and I tell you what, this has been really helpful for us, especially in this last year. Um, all of us actually started lead pastoring at the same time, so that's been great because we're kind of like learning stuff uh, in similar time frames. Um, but it's been helpful for us because we have to remind each other, hey, 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 that thing that you just experienced from that person that did that deal that was wrong, you can't hang on to that and just ignore them, you're going to have to, the best thing to do is to figure out how to let go of the anger and to forgive, which means doing relationship. And, and it's one of those places where it's been interesting as pastors to try to process this together. I mean, think of, think of COVID and all the stuff that comes at 
churches and at you guys and people, right? You can't make everybody happy. You can't make everybody happy about how we should handle COVID. You can't make everybody happy about how we should handle masks. Um, I know this is a shock to you, but it's, it's really hard in churches to make everybody happy if you don't just go with their party line of politics, right? Um, it's really hard in churches if you don't follow along with what somebody believes is true about um, uh, their version of what they see in terms of racial injustice. And it doesn't matter if you look at scripture and take, you know, gosh, this is where I'm getting this. No, I'm not getting this from the news that you're feeding yourself with. I'm not getting this from the talk radio that you're informed by. And great, I'm glad you have opinions. But when we're trying to come back to scripture in the heart of Jesus, this is what we get. And people get angry, even if it's really right out of scripture. It's interesting. And so we know as pastors, like people complain and, and we're trying to figure this out. Here's what happens when we don't talk about this with them and then with each other and then maybe the people that we're trying to work out life with. And I've watched this happen over and over. When we don't deal with it, when we let the sun go down again and again and again on these offenses that occur, the enemy gets a foothold in our churches. The enemy gets a foothold um, in a lot of our pastors' lives, and in this season, two statistics, and I forgot to write them down, two statistics about ministry and pastors in this season. One, more pastors have quit for good in this season than ever before, and the rate of moral failure has more than doubled in the COVID season because of pastors. Now, that's not the congregation's fault. Right? No matter what somebody does, any of us are responsible for our actions. We're responsible to deal with the issues, to have the hard conversations. And when we don't, at least part of the reason that so many guys and gals in ministry are getting taken out, part of the reason, at least part, is that all these footholds have gotten in and discouragement. Can you imagine when the enemy gets a foothold named discouragement into your life? or into the life of the people doing ministry? How about when the enemy gets a foothold of discouragement in the medical staff that are treating the people around us? Right, the enemy gets that discouragement foothold and oftentimes just take people out. They end up out, out of their job or out of their ministry or quitting or leaving their family. The divorce rate's gone up in this season as well. See, discouragement, all this stuff, the enemy gets a foothold and boom, starts with a foothold, he takes them out. And again, this stuff happens, but what we want to do, what we want to do, and see, so you guys get the bonus on this, the first service didn't get this, what we want to do, and this is pastors, and this is all followers of Jesus, we don't want to give the enemy a foothold. We don't want to let that discouragement hook us and go on and on and on. Because then people disappear, they leave church, they, they leave fellowship, and they end up isolated. And when we are all isolated, guess what happens? When we do that, whether it's in our family or our church or our workplace, and we get isolated and angry with each other, and we're divided and divisive, and the enemy gets a foothold that becomes a stronghold, and our hearts grow hard toward each other, when we do that, and to some degree in our relationships, all of us do that from time to time, when we do that, who? Who's delighted with the outcome of all that division? The enemy. Yes, the devil. The devil. He loves it, right? He got a foothold, and he messed it up. So, now, again, let me clarify. If you were a follower of Jesus, if you have said yes to Jesus, you belong to God. And like I mentioned, Satan cannot possess you. 
not with Christ in you, and Christ will never leave you. His, his word has promised us that. So you can't be possessed by the devil, but the New Testament teaches in several places that even though we belong to God, Christians can give the enemy a place, a jurisdiction, if you will, in our lives. There's another translation of this Ephesians 4 passage we're looking at, uh, and it translates, instead of the word foothold, uh, it translated this way, don't give a place to the devil. That's in the New King James. Don't give a place, nor give a place to the devil. In the NASB, it uses this translation, do not give the devil an opportunity, right? Don't give the devil an opportunity, a place, don't give the the devil a foothold. And here's the takeaway that I get from, from all of that is that the truth is that that, that there are things that we do which give the enemy a place, a jurisdiction in our lives. It's like giving him permission. Think of it this way. Uh, it's uh, It's like driving a car. Now, in order to drive any car, do you, being the person driving it, do you have to have the title to drive the car? Nope. Um, in order to drive a car, do you have to be the owner of that car? You don't have to be the owner of that car. No, right? Think of it that way, okay? Like, I love Gary Boydston's, you know, Toyota Tacoma. I'm really hoping he sells it to me someday. <laughs> a wonderful blessing discount price. I love Gary's truck, right? I love his truck. And if I want to drive Gary's truck, though, I don't need the title. I don't, all I need is the key, which I'd have to steal from him, but, you know, still, right? I got to have the key. And if I get that key, I can actually go kind of anywhere I want. I can go anywhere I want if I have the key. And this is how it works when Satan messes with or harasses or oppresses a Christian. See, although we belong to God, he has the, I guess, the title Um, And that can't be taken from him or us. We belong to God. If we give the enemy a foothold or a place or a jurisdiction, an area of our life, it's like handing him the keys to our life. If you hand the keys to the enemy, he will definitely take you for a ride. And not a good one. That's the stronghold, the foothold. So in your anger, do not sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. Get rid of that anger. Resolve it quickly. Let it go. And you know, guys, I, I can't do this message without confessing to you that I don't do this very well oftentimes. I don't get rid of anger real well. Sometimes I'll let it simmer, not just overnight, but for much longer. And actually, when I was finishing this message yesterday as I was writing and praying and studying, God... funny, reminded me of some situations of my life where there are unresolved places of anger and resentment places where I've let the sun set over and over. And when I look at this scripture, when I look at this verse, I, I just pray, God, help me. Help me now. Help me now to to not let the sun go down on my anger. Let me, let me stop doing that. Let me deal with that other stuff. And Holy Spirit, will you remind me that I don't want to live my life that way in resentment and anger. And I don't want to give the enemy a foothold in my life. I don't want that. So I got some work to do. Some of it today, some of it this week. 
And the truth about me is that I can get camped out in resentment and bitterness real quickly, real quickly. John Ortberg tells, tells us how resentment and unforgiveness works for those of us who wrestle with this stuff, which is, you know, all of us. <laughs> and I may have used this uh, here before in the last couple years or so, but I think it's worth hearing regularly, so you'll probably hear it again. Here's how he says resentment and unforgiveness works. He says, I once read about a method that is used in the very far north in the Arctic for killing wolves. Hunters will take a slab of raw meat and impale it on a sharp knife and leave it out. And a wolf will come and begin to eat it greedily. And they will eat it away until they get real close to the knife. And then they will continue to eat it. And a wolf will begin to prick its own tongue with the sharp knife. But because it's cold... And because the wolf is in such a frenzy over its greed for food, and because the taste of the blood excites the wolf, it doesn't realize that the blood it's consuming is its own blood. And so it will go on in its frenzy until it cuts itself so badly that it bleeds to death, destroyed by its appetite for blood. Frederick Buechner writes... Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to read that again. It's true. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, or roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations, to savor to the last toothsome morsel the pain that you are given and the pain that you were given Back in many ways is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. She kind of reminds me of that old saying that unforgiveness. It is like drinking poison and hoping that that other person will die, right? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. But I know, he's right. Anger's fun. It seems fun. And when I hold on to bitterness, it feels like my anger is actually protecting me. But I know from experience and from the wisdom of many other people that bitterness and resentment is actually a poison that will drain the life right out of me. And I end up actually devouring myself. And maybe worse, it creates a foothold for the enemy in my life. And that foothold can become a stronghold, which is where we're going next week. We're going to look at strongholds. But friends, when, when Scripture teaches us to forgive or to make amends with relationships. When, teacher, when, when scripture teaches us, like it says in Ephesians 4, to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, it's not because, and if you don't, God is going to be really, really mad at you. It's not why scripture gives us these instructions. <laughs> God made us, he wired us, he designed us, he knows what it takes for you and I to live the life that he has for us. And he knows that when we choose bitterness or unforgiveness or anger or resentment, when we let that stuff into our lives, it's going to consume us. It will destroy 
us. Not because he's mad. It's not him that's doing that to us. It's not his, his judgment on you is this for doing that. No, we, the enemy, we just gave the enemy a huge foothold to operate from, and he brings that steal, kill, and destroy stuff with him. And I know that there are people in the room today, this morning, some of us, we, we've, we've let anger build up. We've not resolved it. The sun has gone down again and again. It's piled up. And if you were honest, maybe you'd have to say that it's maybe even resentment. If you were really honest, some of us would maybe admit that deep in your heart, you know that that anger is kind of fun and that we're enjoying the resentment. See, the resentment feeds our sense of righteous superiority. How dare they did this to me? Oh, I forgive them, but I, I don't have to be in relationship with, I forget them, get them out of here. Listen, that kind of resentment, I mean, but I, I've told you over the years all kinds of painful parts of my own story. So when I say what I'm about to say, I'm speaking from experience on this resentment thing. I'm speaking from experience, and I will tell you as plainly as I know how, if you are mired in resentment, then, then like the wolf in the Arctic, if you're mired in resentment, you are at the knife right now. And little by little, joy and mercy, kindness and patience are being bled from you. And I believe, I believe this morning, God is asking some of us, will you, will you let go? Will you let go of the resentments? Will you let go of your anger? Will you forgive Will you forgive? Or, 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 listen, we talked about this a couple months ago. If you think you can't quite forgive yet, will you, will you just ask God to give you the grace to begin to forgive? Like, if there's somebody that you need to talk to or extend forgiveness to, will you talk to them? Will you make that phone call today if you have to? Not a text, not an email. <laughs> Don't do this on email. <laughs> Will you call or will you go see them as soon as you can? Like I said, I've got some of those assignments um, myself for this week. So what we're going to do next Sunday is you guys are going to show up and we're all going to tell those stories of how we did all that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, um, I want to tie this back here to the whole foothold analogy thing and the rock climber. I really like that rock climber analogy with the foothold because with that rock climber on the mountain, if the mountain decided to you know, move or shift like there was a tremor or an earthquake, it wouldn't take much for that delicate foothold to be lost, right? Now, with a human rock climber, I would hope that that wouldn't happen or that they had safety gear or ropes or something so they wouldn't you know, fall, they'd get caught. But, but if we stick with that image of the rock climber, with that tedious little foothold, but we think of the enemy with his foothold in our life, I think there's some good news in that imagery, in that picture. I think when we think of it that way, you go, you know what? Um, if that is not yet a stronghold where the enemy has anchored in, we can take that foothold hold back. We can actually shake him off that place that he's trying to stick to fairly simply. It's almost like, you know, knocking a fly off of your arm if he's not entrenched, if he's not dug in yet. See, you can, if the enemy is trying to have a foothold or has taken a foothold, you can take back the keys. Back to the other analogy. You can take back the keys. 
And we can do that by doing what James 4 says, and we read a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Right? Submit yourself to God. We're going to talk more about what that really means next week. But in part, submitting ourselves to God means coming back under what he says is true and living in the way that he calls us to. We, we confess that thing that we're struggling with. We, we, we stop letting that sun go down on our anger and we deal with it. We go and do the relational work of it, not just between me and God. We move past just between me and God to dealing with that person. Because listen, friends, so many people, you know, we even do this series on forgiveness, and we did say, um, sometimes you just break off the relationship, and, and I am so sad when I hear people say, well, you know, I, um, I forgave them, but they're out of my life. Listen, unless somebody has sexually abused you, physically abused you, emotionally abused you, if it's those categories, great. Spiritually abused you, okay. Maybe the relationship needs to end. But I've seen far too many of us go, I don't want to do the work of reconciliation, which is what scripture calls us to. And so we say, well, I forgave him, but ah. be careful. Be careful. That's a great way to set up a stronghold or give the enemy a foothold in your life to harden your heart. See, when we want to be free and shake the enemy off of this foothold, we have to open our hearts, submit to God. And when we do that and submit to God and, and process our forgiveness and our anger the way that he says is the way to do it because it's the best way for the way he wired and created us, when we do that, Satan has to do what? Flee. Flee. We submit to God, Satan has to flee. It knocks him off of that foothold that he's got and he is gone. See, trusting the way of Jesus and the way that he directs us to do life, not the way that our world says, well, you got to do it this way and this way, and this is how you do this kind of relationship, and this is the way. No, no, no. Instead of going the way that the world recommends, we trust Jesus that when we don't allow resentments to build, but we deal with them. When we trust Jesus, the devil loses another foothold in your life. And when the devil loses another foothold in our life, we begin to experience more of the freedom that God promised to us. We, we get a taste of that life to the full that Jesus talked about in John 10. As the worship team comes, I want to ask this question to you and to me. So, that freedom. <laughs> Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want to be more free of the anger, the resentment? Do you want to get free of that, maybe that growing hardness that you sense inside of you? Do you want to be more free from the attacks of the enemy? Maybe there's some areas in your life where you realize you've handed him the keys and he has been taking you for a ride and you want the keys back. You're tired of him messing with your relationships or bringing chaos and division and disunity around you. Maybe that seemingly small place that, oh, that can't be that big of a deal where you're hanging on to sin and resentments, but now you know that that gives the devil a foothold. Or that place of unconfessed lust or greed or judgmentalism or arrogance, maybe even the place of passivity, all those places give the devil an opportunity. They give the devil a foothold. And especially, again, 
This one's so predictable. I think it's why the enemy uses it so much, that place of unforgiveness. It gives the devil an opportunity, a foothold. And if we're not careful, like I said earlier, and we'll look at it next week, that, that foothold can get entrenched and become a stronghold. So start today. Start today. Is there somebody you need to begin that process of forgiveness with? Is there somebody you need to own your stuff with to clean up the mess that maybe you have made? Is there somewhere that you are stuck in resentment and anger? Let's ask God to set us free. Set us free. And the word that I think of, of how to enter that pathway this week, is surrender. We surrender. We surrender our agenda. We surrender our anger. I surrender my way of making sure that everybody sees the way I want it to be. We surrender all that stuff. We surrender all of that stuff. Which means I have to trust Jesus and his way to deal with it rather than my own way of trying to deal with it. But friends, that's how we take back the keys from the enemy. We surrender and trust God with it, with our stuff. It's, it's opening our hands that are gripped so tightly on that anger, that resentment, that offense. Letting it go, loosening our grip. In fact, what I'd like you to do is just hold your hands out, palms down in front of you. Just maybe make two fists with your palms down. Just look at your hands. And the stuff that we hang on to and that we grip, if you're willing, if you're just even willing to let it go, will you open your hands and just release that stuff to God? Just open your hands as a, a way of entering into releasing that stuff. Just, Jesus, we let it go. We give you our resentments anger, our frustration. We give it to you. We surrender it to you. We surrender it to you. Now I want you to leave your palms open and just turn them upwards. Now that we've released stuff, we have open hands to receive what God has for us. And as a just a physical way even of entering in symbolically to being open to what God would give you. I'm just going to ask you to, to sit with your palms open, palms up and receive from God as we surrender. Just receive from him. As we sing this song, let it be your prayer. When we open our hands to you, we surrender to you. Lord, have your way. <laughs>